yoga. It's not really a sport, it's not really a form of exercise. It just seems to be more a series of contortions and stretches, some of which look really easy and some of which look really quite painful. What's it all about? I think it's fair to say I don't really understand, but for many it is something that is essential in their lives. And testament to this is the number of people who regularly practice it. According to the Economic Times of India, there are more than 300 million yogis worldwide who have adopted it as part of their lifestyle. 50% of these live in India. And in America, there are 37 million people who practice yoga regularly. Not bad for a bit of stretching. So why? What is it that makes it so alluring? This is Conversations on Living, a podcast all about being, doing and living well. I'm Chris Brock, and this week I'm talking to Pamela Selig about yoga, in an effort to understand why so many people are drawn to it and why they find it so beneficial. Patanjali, who compiled the definitive text on yoga, the Yoga Sutras, sometime between 500 BCE and 400 AD, the experts can't seem to agree when it was written, is quoted as saying, Yoga is the settling of the mind into silence. When the mind has settled, we are established in our essential nature which is unbounded consciousness. Our essential nature is usually overshadowed by the activity of the mind. No mention here of stretches or contortions, but this sounds very much like meditation, like a Jungian exploration of who we are when we strip ourselves, that version of us that we identify with, away. And if you've read any of my books or listened to many episodes of this podcast, you'll know that this is partly what I'm exploring in my effort to discover the secret source to living a full, content and peaceful life. Pamela is a yogi with a great pedigree. She first discovered yoga 25 years ago when working on Wall Street and she was afflicted with Bell's palsy. Her doctor encouraged her to try meditation. This eventually led her to yoga and she went on to practice at the highly regarded Integral Yoga Institute in New York. Eventually in 2009 she set up her own studio, Lotus Mind and Body. And recently, she published a book with ideas for experienced and novice yogis alike. It's called Threads of Yoga, Themes, Reflections and Meditations to Weave into Your Practice. You can find out about Pamela and her book at her website, which is www.pamelaselig.com. And I'll also be sharing links in the show notes, which you can find at conversationsonliving.com. Before we get started though, just a quick shout out to the guys at Headliner. This is the service I use to create audiograms, which you've probably seen. They're those social media sized graphics. They sometimes have video, they sometimes are just static, but they've always got um, audio clips of the podcast alongside maybe subtitles or a moving waveform of the audio. Uh, It's a great way to market your podcast. So if you host a podcast too, I would definitely check it out. It's at www.headliner.app. And also a word about Plane. This is a video game created by a previous guest of the show, Krish Shrikumar. Uh, In the game, you're challenged to grow a beautiful island uh, using just mindfulness. Throughout the game, you can experience deep relaxations and learn straightforward meditations that uh, that can help you care for your mental well-being and just to be more present day to day. I've never seen anything like this, and it's definitely worth checking out if you uh, want to give meditation a start or mindfulness, and if you also enjoy video games. Uh, so check it out. It's at www.plane.co. That's P-L-A-Y-N-E.co. And finally, my turn to plug myself. Please 
please please give this podcast a uh, a review a rating subscribe it tell your friends share it where you can uh, because it all helps to spread the love and create awareness uh, which helps us to attract more interesting guests and um, you know really keeps the podcast going the teams of engineers the uh, the horses which are pulling this thing along are um, you know need to be fed they need to be housed and kept warm so it all helps to keep things going and if you want to find out about this podcast more episodes go to conversationsonliving.com where you can also find uh, my writing there are some guided meditations there and you can also sign up to the 21 day gratitude challenge which is a great way to bring gratitude into your life and shift everything into a much more positive vein and uh, you can also sign up for my very infrequent newsletter which i'm hoping to give a bit of a kickstart this year in 2022 and uh, don't forget, if you want to carry on the conversation, join our Facebook group. Just search for Conversations on Living. Um, so, right, so we're about to get into this conversation with Pamela. Uh, it's the first chat of 2022, and it's a really great one to start the year off. Uh, apologies for the bad connection. I've tried to chop out any uh, bits where um, you know we, we got a bit of a stutter or it went a bit wobbly. Um, but this is the nature of technology, isn't it? But uh, I really hope that you'll enjoy this conversation with um Pamela and understand the benefits of meditation and yoga and about turning our energy inwards. All right, so here we go. Thank you to Pamela for this and thank you to you for listening too. So Pamela, thank you for being my guest today and uh, I'm, I'm so grateful that you've given up the time because you've, you're obviously very busy. You've just, um, you've got your book, Threads of Yoga. Uh, you've got your yoga practice and one of the reasons I, I wanted to speak to you is because I, as I mentioned in our kind of preamble before I started recording, I've been around yoga a lot. I've got friends who do it. My wife is a qualified yoga teacher. Um, I, I've even had a go at it myself, to, and I've, I've not been great, I have to admit, so I've not really kind of persevered with it. But I've always wanted to know what it is about yoga that you know, some people say, I, I mean, I've heard runners say, if even if they could never run again, they would always do yoga. It's one of those things that seems really essential to people. Um, and you're a, something of an expert. So maybe you could start us off by talking about your history, how you got into yoga, and what was the, the allure, and you know, what, what do you get from it that is so enticing and you know, captivating? Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast first. Um, well, uh, I was, I think like a lot of people, I was sort of a reluctant yogi myself, although this was many years ago, back in the 80s. Uh, I was working on Wall Street in a very intense, kind of aggressive uh, work situation without the notion of balance really at all. It was just going, 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 like many of us do. And I think that time in that place was particularly intense. And it started to take a toll on my uh, physical body. I could, little things started to crop up. And uh, one day I woke up and I had Bell's palsy, which I never heard of, but it's when half of your face is paralyzed and it's uh, not life-threatening. I went to the emergency room. I was relieved to find out that most of the time it, it recovers, although it takes a lot of time and there's nothing you can do. So I went home and I couldn't go to work. And this was really unusual for me. And it kind of halted me in my tracks. So I started to go to different doctors, hoping there would be some sort of innovative course of action. 
and there was not, but one doctor was very kind and asked if I had ever uh, tried meditation. And I hadn't, but I was desperate and I had nothing to do. So I got a couple of books. This was pre-internet, just skimmed and uh, tried to meditate. I didn't try, I just didn't know, I just did it. And I didn't know, like I teach people now, you know, start slowly, five, 10 minutes at first. I didn't know that. I just, again, did not have the notion of balance at all. I just started meditating for hours. And, um, you know, there's probably, it's probably unhealthy in a way because it was a little bit of an escape time. I was panicking and uh, trying to probably, you know, get away from my panicked thoughts. But anyway, I um, loved it and had some experiences that I didn't understand at the time, which I thought was amazing. I was fascinated. And finally, one person clued me in and said, read about yoga, the older texts. And I thought that was strange. I thought yoga was bendy postures. I didn't know it was meditation. I read uh, some books and I was stunned to find that what I was experiencing was described in these books. So I, I knew that maybe the other things that were true in these books. So it really got me on this journey. You know, I recovered from Bell's palsy pretty well, um, but I'm very grateful now because I would have never turned in this direction. It was just not in me. I sort of mocked people, I'm sad to say, that meditated or did yoga or talked about crystals. That sort of thing was just not anything I would ever be drawn to. But uh, I have become, you know, that really, it took me a long time to sort of completely move in the direction of yoga and meditation, but it started me on that path. What was it um, that you experienced? You said, um, you know, people... Uh, advise you to kind of read up about yoga and, and you found that same description about, you know, what you'd experienced. What was it that you discovered when you started to meditate and then started to explore further into yoga? Well, some of the first things were um, seeing strange lights, like with my eyes closed, sort of behind my eyelids, I would see kind of a light show. Even as I went to sleep at night, I couldn't turn it off. And if I opened my eyes, it would be in the room. So I went to an eye doctor because I thought there might be something wrong. There was nothing wrong. And that was the first thing. And then it was sounds. I started to hear odd sounds uh, like a flute or a waterfall. And I was living in New York in an apartment. So I, at first I thought it was another apartment and I would walk around, but it was, it was in my head. Um, and then there were other things that were a little bit more, I wanna say kind of like mystical that uh, were kind of a little frightening at the time. But what I found was that I learned about prana and this energy aspect of our body. Absolutely. So it, it sounds like um, the Bell's palsy was something that kind of gave you a bit of a kick into a new, a new kind of open-minded approach to, to life almost and, and, you know, set you off on this path. When did you start to kind of practice it regularly? And, you know, what happened when you, you started to get more and more involved? Well, it was really just through meditation. I really didn't get into the postures until probably 10 years later. Oh, wow. Okay. But the meditation um, really began to settle me down, like just as a person. And it just helped in so many aspects of my life, uh, including my work life. 
um, so it 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 was really a just a slow steady figuring out you know that I didn't have to move at this breakneck speed all the time and try to figure out as well why did I think I had to and this looking inward just that was such a new concept I was I was always trying to as you know we, we all are from childhood increase your mental activity learn more uh, all of our senses help us to filter external stimuli this idea of going kind of tuning that out and going inward uh, was really a revelation for me so I wasn't necessarily super steady on my practice I kind of fell off you know came back on fell off you know didn't feel well in life and then realized oh I have to so it took me many years but eventually I was like, you know, this is really good. <laughs> this is really good for you. I mean, was there, uh, was there any point where, you know, that there is this kind of notion that uh, I think Nietzsche said, you know, if you stare too long into the abyss, the abyss stares into you. And I, I think there's a sense that a lot of us are scared of looking inward. And, you know, you talk about hearing these noises and, um, you know, seeing these lights. Was there ever a kind of like, actually, this is, this is quite frightening. I don't know what I'm going to uncover. I don't know what I'm experiencing. Do I, should I be going down this road? Is this actually a little bit frightening or am I, you know, am I, am I on the cusp of something amazing here? That's such a good point. And when I teach meditation now, I, I tell people, you know, the beginning is really about, you know, this focus. Initially, you just have to focus and do the work, whether it's focusing on your breath or using a mantra, you just have to do, put the time in and do that. You get through, though you do get through, the, the thoughts quiet down and you get to what's there. It's like dragons, <laughs> you know, the deeper stuff, like you're saying, comes up. So a lot of people, they start meditating, the, there's too many thoughts and they think, I meditation is not for me. My mind is too busy. But everyone's like that. You just have to kind of do put in the time, you'll get through it. It'll, it'll settle down. We're not going for absolute quiet, just quieting down. So if you get through that, which I think 90% of people don't, but if you get through that, then this deeper stuff arises. And that can make people just shut the book like, oh, mixing metaphors. But yeah, nope, uh, I don't want to go there. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to remember that. Or, and that can be terrifying. And sometimes it's too much. It's overwhelming. And, you know, you can talk to a friend, you don't have to do it alone, uh, it might be time for a therapist, because we're excavating the mind. This is deep stuff. And when you sit down to meditate, it's big. It's not a, it's not a minor thing. It's usually, if you do it, it's usually a transformative thing. Uh, and it does, it's not a beautiful, mystical experience every time, but it's work, but it's worth it. I mean, this is it. I've spoken to people who, who say they've tried meditation, but it brought back so many terrible experiences that they never want to go there again. Um, you know, and, and there's this whole idea about um, kind of meditation and, and mindfulness as being, you know, cups, cups of coffee on a, a warm um, sort of warm autumn evening while you're wrapped in a big kind of cozy blanket. But actually it can be quite a brutal experience. But you, you talked about dragons um, I heard someone, it was actually um, 
I forget who it was now, but they, they talked about the whole myth of dragons is that they're, they're sitting on a, on a pot of gold. You know, they're sitting on this big pile of gold and that's what dragons sleep on. And if you want to get to the gold, you have to fight the dragon. And I guess that's what, that's what meditation is about. It's, it's kind of saying, here's the dragon. And actually, when you, when you step up to face it, it's not as frightening or as powerful as you think. You, all you have to do is face it. It does take courage. And I, I think, you know, it's that true nature, true love. That's what you're, you're going for. Things do come up. Yeah. You don't have to think about them too much or, or uh, sit with them too long. They're just, they're coming up and you're breathing through it. You have your technique, whatever it is, mantra, breath. It comes up and it can just go and it's time for it to go. But I feel like if you know in advance that this is normal, yeah. Like it's very, the mind is first of all going to be very, very active. So it's not you. This is for everyone. Yeah. And then uh, the second thing is, you know, as the mind does quiet down and it does eventually, um, deeper stuff might come up and that's normal too. And that, that's when your techniques will, will help you. And if it's too much, acknowledge that and, and uh, get some help. And I think just knowing that takes the power a little bit away from whatever it is because i think it was james baldwin said you know not everything that is um faced can be changed but nothing can be changed until it's faced and i think there is a reluctance in life to to face things you know and, and certainly the, the only way we can bring about any change is to face it but to face ourselves is a another question entirely you know to turn that that gaze inwards I guess does take a lot of courage, like you were saying before. Um, does I mean for you there was a there was a pain point, there was a kind of crisis point with um, uh, with your your illness. Do you think people come to meditation when they do kind of reach their their wits end, or they they go through a crisis or something like that? I think it's very common for people to um, have a situation that, in a way, sort of forces them to take action, but I'm happy that now in our current culture, it's more mainstream. There's lots of scientific research now, every day there's another article about the health benefits of meditation and yoga, um, the stress re uh, reducing effects. And so I think people, just the, the average person now says, gee, I really should look into that. That would be helpful. Um, because our culture is, is, I mean, I think there's so many chaotic, chaotic times and we tend to think now is the worst, but, but it's always been. People were asking these questions thousands of years ago, how do I quiet my mind? And so I'm glad that we now have a lot of research showing us you know, what the effects of it, um, but I do think people have to get to a certain point where they're just not happy anymore. Yeah. Um, what they thought might bring them happiness isn't doing it. So how did you progress then from um, doing uh, meditation and then move into yoga, which is a much more, well, clearly it's a much more physical practice, much more focused on, you know, there is the breath, you're breathing through these different poses. Um, but how did that transition occur? Well, through my study i really i really enjoyed 
reading about the philosophical aspects of yoga because I, I was just fascinated by what, what was happening. Like, why did, I, why did this happen in, in the body, in the mind? And I learned that yoga is the quieting of the mind, that that's yoga. And in a lot of these texts, especially one that I focused on was called the Yoga Sutras, tells us how to quiet the mind. And they offer this eight-limbed path. And one of the limbs is postures. Is uh, Two of the limbs are meditation. There's breath work, et cetera. So I was interested in postures. And um, eventually, I also wanted the just the health benefits, the physical movement. As life becomes more sedentary, we really need this. Um, so I went to my first yoga class and loved it really felt like, you know, this is something that I really needed. And it helps you to bring in the awareness that meditation provides. But when you practice the postures, you're practicing being aware of your life. This idea that you could be in a very challenging posture and yet focus on your breath, relax where you can relax, even while you're challenging yourself. This was a new idea. This wasn't like regular sports or athletics or working out, which are all great, but this was a different, you know, you're in a challenging pose and you relax. So the next time you're in a challenging conversation, you feel all that tension and you could stay there and relax. Like you, you, it shows you that you have the ability to do that. That's really fascinating. I've never heard that before because I, I understand that, you know, while you're focusing on your posture, you're focusing on the different positions and, and the flow from one to another, you're not thinking about, you know, your to-do list or the emails from your boss because you're focused on those positions. But then to kind of build from that a kind of resilience that you can take away into life, a kind of strength so that you can become more... Um, is, is equanimous a word? You know, you can you can take equanimity into into kind of difficult situations if you like. That is really quite powerful. I mean, were you still working in Wall Street at the time when you were doing yoga? Did it help you as a kind of in that in that aggressive environment? Yeah. Well, at that point, like when I was just starting, I was sort of moving out. I think I was work. I tried to work part time. I did have a two children, I was trying to do part-time, I was getting into the physical postures. So it did help, it definitely did help. But, um, and I, I, was, I was kind of surprised also by the effect of the physical practice in, in life. It does bring awareness in, it does, to me it's that idea of mindfulness you know, you, you can't think of the past or the future when you're in practicing the postures. Um, but it's also practicing mindfulness with this movement that I thought was really great, really helpful. Um, that Because I think for me, mindfulness is very embodied. It's, it's being mindful is feeling my breath in the body in that moment and as I'm in my day. So the practice of mindfulness for me is embodied. When for you, when did it move from being a tool that you can take into life to something that you wanted to 
commit your life to doing? When did you, you suddenly realize, I, I love this so much that I, I want to spend pretty much all my time doing this, or at least thinking about it, you know, being involved in it or around it? When I came to the final conclusion that I did need to leave the finance industry, it just wasn't for me. It's for a lot of people. There's nothing wrong with it. I have a lot of good friends in that industry still. But for me, I knew it wasn't my path. And I actually went to see the Dalai Lama. He was speaking in New York City and I, I went to see him. And, and this is a long time ago. So I think I have this memory might be a little bit hazy, but I remember there was, he, there was a, he brought up this idea of um, freedom and that the people in the audience, he said, you're free, you know, uh, through his translator. Uh, how many people in the world are actually free to choose their life? Especially if you're a woman, how many women in history have been able to choose their life? And I was so moved because at that point I was thinking, I wasn't free. Oh, I had these responsibilities. I had to do these things. And I, I don't know, I just was feeling not free, which is terrible perspective, but he switched that on me. So I remember going home and thinking, wow, I am free. I can't waste this. Like, what do I really want to do with my life? Like, really, like, what do you want to do? And I don't think I'd ever asked myself that like before I was always thinking what I should do. And when it came down to it, it was the oddest thing because this was back in like, I don't know, 1991. I thought to myself, all I really wanna do is yoga, which it just wasn't popular back then. And it was a weird thing to do, especially where, you know, in my neighborhood, in my family. But I, if I was honest with myself, that's all I wanted to do, practice and learn. So I decided to do that and, um, just it's been the strangest experience because everything has just, you know, worked out. Like, it's like the magic carpet ride. It's been really beautiful. Do you think there's a sense that when you started to commit to yoga and embrace it as something that really was valuable to you, important to you, and kind of essentially aligned with who you are and what you wanted, then you were kind of walking your true path, if you like, and that's why... That's why it was like a magic carpet ride because it was, it was the path you were kind of you came here to walk in a way. I think so. I think that's it. It was uh, surprising, and um, it still is. It still is, um, and it's not like you know things go wrong. It's it's things are difficult, and there's always choices along the way. But. Um, Again, it was just surprising to me when I asked myself that question, like, why hadn't I ever asked that before? <laughs> you know, I, it's just it's just a little perspective shift and it changed everything. You know, I'm just so grateful. So as you've kind of become more of an expert at yoga, do you I mean, is there a chance that you'll get bored of it? I mean, is it something that you can do and then you kind of think, ah, actually, do I have to do this today? You know, because I can imagine like, you know, you look at Olympic athletes and they're, they're training every day, every day, every day. And there must come a day where they think, oh, you know, I don't want to go and run on the treadmill for eight hours. You know, I don't want to go and, uh, you know, you don't have to push myself around a, a, an athletics track all day long. Do you ever get days like that? Or do you just think every day is a blessing? It's something that, you know, I'm eager to get stuck into every day. Well, yoga is such a vast 
kind of a science art lifestyle. I it's my personal practice has definitely shifted and changed. And um, I still consider myself a student, not even an expert. I, I have been learning a lot, but there seems to be so much more. But there was one time when I was really into the vigorous physical practice and I loved it. It really helped me. And then I moved into a little bit more of the like yoga nidra, restful, meditative practices going deeper. And now it's, it's very much meditative, although I love the movement. And there's, it's the, the depth is, uh, there's no end to it, I see. And uh, uh, there's no, it just gets more fascinating. It gets more fascinating uh, the deeper you go. Uh, so I look forward to, you know, in our culture, there's not much to, uh, there's not much positive about growing old and aging, but meditating and being involved in this area, I'm excited to know in 20 years what the, what the, what my different perceptions will be and, and what I'll learn. And, and it's exciting to me. It's definitely not anything I'll get bored with. I mean, you mentioned Yoga Nidra. We, we had uh, Tracy Stanley uh, on the podcast um, a few, well, at the beginning of uh, this year, which will be last year when this goes out. Uh, but um, Yoga Nidra, Raja Yoga, uh, two very kind of static yogas, but they do offer kind of glimpses deep within ourselves. I mean, is there, are there things that we can bring out from that kind of deep exploration into our, I don't know whether you call it your subconscious or your intuition that can help us to live a more fulfilled life up here in the kind of on the surface, if you like, of the, the day to day, the kind of paying the bills, going to work, that kind of thing. Can it help us kind of have a, a more fulfilled experience of all of that? Absolutely, because the main the main um, aim of yoga is uh, as written in the yoga sutras is quieting of the mind or quieting down of the mind. And when you do that, the very next sutra says, why we do that? Why would we do yoga? Why would we quiet the mind? Um, and the response of the second sutra, the next sutra, the third sutra says, and then the seer abides in her or his true nature. Yoga is the quieting of the mind. And then we abide in the true nature, in our true nature. We know who we are. We know uh, uh, our authentic self. So nowadays we're all saying things like you be you or be authentic. And um, that's great. We really should be. It's a beautiful sentiment. But the problem is we don't know who we are. Like media tells us in a way who you are. Or your job tells you who you are, your culture, your family. But really, I think the most transformative aspect of yoga for me was this idea that you are not your thoughts, that this inner thought stream, this narrator, that's not who you are. Once you realize that, you, you don't give it as much attention, you quiet it down. And that really affects your life. That affects, affects your day-to-day -day life. When you know when you're spinning and repetitive, habitual thinking, when you realize you're in that, you're just like, oh, take a breath. Just move that to the side, let it go. However you do that. And then you can get back to living your life. 
not this inner chatter. It's your own. And that right there is to me was huge, was huge. Now there's walking the path is the practice of managing that inner chatter. But just the first idea that that's not you, without any practice, that idea can change, can be transformative, I believe. Yeah, it is pretty powerful stuff. I, I When I was going through my own um, uh, kind of dark night of the soul, I had a moment where I kind of, and this was before I, I really got into meditation or anything like that, where I, I was in the shower, the usual negative thoughts were kind of just streaming through my head. And I remember sort of saying to myself, I don't want to listen to this anymore. And just for a moment, they they got quieter. And I just thought, oh, that, that's that's interesting. I actually have a say in in what's going on up here. And then that led me into meditation and this kind of thing. I did have a, a guest. He's been a, a guest a couple of times on the podcast, a, a chap called Chris Manning, who um, is quite well known in meditation circles and mindfulness circles in the UK. And he talked about there was a time where he would often spend sort of, you know, nine or 10 hours a day meditating as a kind of escape from life. Is, is there a danger that we can use it almost as addictively as video games and that it becomes a problem because you know we we start to enjoy ourselves more when we're we're in the deeper kind of states of meditation than when we're actually out in in the real world if you like can it be is there a kind of darker side to it that potentially can be a bit too alluring well i don't know i don't know about a, a darker side depending on your intention if your intention is to know who you are I don't know, but I think there is, I guess, a danger of that imbalance in anything we do. And I did write a little bit in the book, the, the last section of the book is on the chakra system, which I wasn't sure if I was going to put that in or not, because it is a little bit, like a lot of people think of the chakras as a little out there, even though it is, they're written about in a lot of the, many of the older texts. But there's seven primary along, they run along the spinal cord. There's the root chakra at the base and then the crown chakra at the, at the crown of the head. When you meditate, you're really stimulating these higher chakras um, and it can feel beautiful. It can feel, uh, you know, once you get the quieting of the thoughts down, it can be very, just, just flowy. I don't know the word, there's just, they're just words, but you can really, uh, it can be a lovely experience. Um, and I guess you can get addicted to that and sort of lose your grounding, lose your, the, the root aspect, you know, the solar plexus is your sense of self, the heart, your connection to others. So we want to keep that balance because we are human beings. We all have lives. We have, however we design our lives, maybe we have a family, maybe we're, uh, like to travel all the time and be on our own. However, we design our lives, we have responsibilities. So we have to manage that and we have to be of the world. And but not only of the world, you know, there's there's a balance. And I think I think our intention is important. And then putting our attention on the proper intention helps us. And and meditation helps us to be more aware. And being aware of these things, I think, is the key to maintaining that your own balance, your own harmony to help our lives. When you, you talked a little bit ago about 
you know, you come face to face with the real you, the you that is kind of underneath all the, the baggage that you accumulate as you go through life, you know, the, the shoulds that are put upon you, the expectations of, of your job, of your family, your culture, whatever it may be. What if the, the real you isn't particularly compatible with your chosen career path or, or the culture you've been brought up in or, or that kind of thing? I mean, are you kind of putting yourself in a position where you have to make some difficult choices about your life or are we coming back now to this balance and saying, okay, I am, this is not me, but I am having to kind of balance that in order to progress in the, the world, you know, the human world that we're in. I think that's a really good point. I think that a lot of people may not want to take up meditation in a way because they don't want to go there. They don't want to know. They don't want to deal with that. And um, if they have to make decisions, they just won't. So they know they don't want to meditate. So I guess it's everyone's timing and everybody's choice. But I think being aware that you're not you're not going to make that change, but that's your choice. You know, I'm not going to make that change. I like this job. Uh, well, maybe I don't like this job, but I'm too frightened to, to leave it. And that's okay. You know, you need financial security for whatever reason, you know, it's scary. And, but I just think we have to give ourselves a break. And if we're not going to make the change that we, we think then that's a good reason not to make the change. It's too scary right now. Um, or you're going to research further. So what we're afraid of, if we're afraid of ourselves in a way, maybe that doesn't make the most sense. Maybe contemplate that a little bit and know that you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. But, um, and that, but it is painful. And that's, we have to recognize that. Sometimes there are painful things that come up and that's just part of that you know, mental hygiene and letting yeah. it come and go and, but knowing that you're in control. Absolutely. And I guess there's a bit, um, uh, I, I forget her, her name, but there's a very popular Netflix show where the young lady goes into people's houses and makes them chuck away all the, the stuff they don't want. You know, all the kind of socks that are in the sock drawer that they're holding on to because someone, you know, an ex-boyfriend gave it to them or something like that. And I suppose there's a little bit of that going on. There's this kind of cathartic release and it can be quite frightening in a way. I mean, and then, but then at a very much more superficial level, one of the things that was very valuable for me when I started value, um, meditating, it, it was just a break. It was just a break from the thinking. Just for, for 10 minutes, I could have a rest. You know, it's just like sitting down, having a cup of tea and not having to, you know, think this constant stream of thoughts. And then when I was done, I, I was a bit more restored and I could get back back to the thinking that I needed to clearly needed still to process through. So it doesn't need to be this big kind of transformational life changing um, voyage that we're, we're going on. It's I suppose it's we take what we need when we need it at that particular time. And, you know, we have ownership over that uh, in terms of your book. So, um, you know, you talked about the Yoga Sutras, Patanjali's uh, Yoga Sutras, which is one of the very, very earliest books. And there have been lots and lots and lots of books later. And now comes your book, Threads of Yoga, Themes, Reflections and Meditations to Weave into Your Practice. What is, what are you bringing to the, to the, the table, if you like, that perhaps other books haven't addressed 
um, that is a bit fresher and something new? Well, the Yoga Sutras, they were written by Patanjali about 2,000 years ago, give or take. There's a little debate on that. Um, he was an Indian sage. And at that time, he was compiling information that was already considered ancient. And he put it into these 196 sutras or little threads telling us what yoga is, why we do it, and how, and the ultimate stages. I, I was stunned when I read, when I came across them. I was just like, wow, a handbook to how to be human. And that's one of the foundational texts of yoga. It's um, there's a few, thank goodness we have them, but it's, it's one of the foundational, very clearly laid out. Um, but it's, it, it's not modern, you know, it's not, it's not so accessible. Um, as I studied over the years, there was so much information that I was like, wow, everyone should know this. Like, this is so practical for nowadays, exactly. This especially idea of quieting the thoughts and you are not your thoughts. Um, but I was trying to find the book that would also, as a teacher, help me to tell students, you know, tell students about present moment awareness and silence. Why would you practice silence and um, nonviolence? Why is this a thing? Um, and I just could never find that modern day language. Um, also, for just regular people who are curious, like, why is you know, I don't want to do the physical practice. I'm a runner, but why is this 3,000 year old practice still a thing? Like, what am I missing? Like, that's what I that's what I wanted this book to come across. And there are a lot of good books out there, but I think everyone's voice is different. And and I'm just a regular person, like a modern day person, you know. And this is not that complicated, and yet it's quite profound. This information. So I just I found I felt. It felt very rewarding to write it down in sort of this short chapter format and also practices with each theme or chapter where they can take this information and actually put it to use in their life, in their body. So, so that's what I hope uh, off, is offered through this book. What do, what do you think are some of the main teachings that, you know, if I was to read the book, and um, to kind of break it down for someone who had, you know, didn't have time to read it or was not a yoga practitioner, perhaps. What are the main takeaways, do you think, that you're trying to get across um, through your book? I think the main thing for me, and, and I, maybe for others, is this idea of why, why would we even meditate? Like, what's the point of that? Why? And this idea of knowing that you are not your thoughts is is key um, and unfortunately myself included I thought that my thought that inner narrator in my head my mind plus I have a mind I have a body that's who I am and yoga teaches that if you think that that's a great tragedy that you have a body, you have a mind. Those are tools that you have to live your life. But if you don't, if you, if you over-identify with that, you'll never know really who you are and your purpose here, why you're here. These are things that 
the um, that the Yoga Sutras and this this book, my book, Threads of Yoga, can just quickly explain to you, and then you can get deeper if you want. But this kind of tells you basically why would you even meditate? Like, what's the point of that? And it's besides the, all the scientific research now that's oh, it'll reduce stress, increase immunity, all these great. But those are side effects of finding basically this inner peace within. There is, um, I've, I've had conversations with people like Martha Beck, and th there's a reoccurring theme that, that crops up. And it, it always takes me back to a um, quite a transformational quote that I saw graffitied on a piece of wall um, from the train as I was commuting into work. And it, I, I later found out it was um, Carl Jung, uh, but he said beneath the threshold of uh, consciousness, everything was seething with life. And I, I, this kind of really confused me for a while. So beneath the threshold of consciousness, what does that even mean? And then it, it but it does, it brings me back to this. Once we silence the, the thoughts, that's when we get access to this, um, this kind of, you know, innate wisdom, if you like, this, this kind of, this, this essential us that lies beneath all the chatter. Um, and, you know, uh, people like Martha Beck say, if we can tune into this, then it can be a, a great guide through life and it can give us great insight and great strength. But is there a danger that maybe this, this us that lies beneath the chatter is someone that we don't necessarily want to un unleash upon the world or, or come face to face with? Is there a risk that that's going to happen? Or do you think that this essential us is actually always going to be a kind of wise and friendly um, person, do you think? Well, um, the sages teach us, and a lot of the texts teach us that, that our, who we are is uh, indescribable, like they're only words, so letters in a row, but um, it's like the diamond within, it's the peace, the love, those again are just words. But that quote is so amazing because I think of it too, like when we get quiet or get closer to that true nature, go below the threshold of consciousness. What we see is that we're not alone, that we feel separate. When we think we're the mind and the body, we are here and everything else is out there and we're very separate. Um, and it's very, that's very anxiety inducing. It's a big world, we can't control anything. It's very depressing. Um, it makes life very difficult. But when you actually experience this quieting and you feel it for yourself, you see below that the teeming, you see we're all connected. And it's we're all one. Every wisdom tradition gets to that. We can get to that ourselves. We can experience it. You don't have to be a perfect person. You don't have to be a holy person. When you do the practice, you can experience for yourself this connection, this beauty, and this, um, this an infinite wonder. Um, so it's, uh, I don't think there's a danger. I think there's a danger of not connecting, of not getting quiet. I know that, um, mindfulness has been used in, uh, and mindfulness may be separate from meditation now, but mindfulness has been used as a tool in training, um, uh, members of the military in terms of dealing with what they have to do and their kind of jobs. Is that a kind of subversion of these kind of ideas? You know, when, when you are using it as a, as a kind of tool in a great big, you know, political and 
um, you know, war machine, basically. Is there, is it, is that true mindfulness or is that just a psychological trick, if you like? I've, I've sort of realized I've, I've gone completely off topic here with this, but, um, but just um, uh, in terms of exploring the, the ideas of, of meditation and mindfulness, um, yeah, can it potentially give us the peace to do terrible things, if you know what I mean? That's interesting. Um, I think it does come back to intention, intention. Um, but when, um, I mean, these practices really do help us to achieve our potential or get closer to our potential, this ultimate realization. Um, and I think it's sad, but I think, you know, the, the powers that be, whatever, whoever that is, gets that, you know. So how do we make these people, this military, you know, do their best or it so but I do you know I I, I, I don't know uh, I, I like to think of it on an individual basis you know why are we here um, learning about ourselves knowing who we are and then of course sharing that with the world um, when you bring awareness in I think it might help somebody in in, in that scenario for a minute but you can't give too much awareness to people because they're not going to do what you say <laughs> if it's not, you know, in alignment with who they are, you know, at a point, if you're going to hit a point where it won't work anymore. But um, I'm no expert on that. <laughs> I mean, that, that's another theme that has come up a few times in the conversations I've had. You know, there's this sense that when we're striving for something outside of us, it's almost like we're trying to fill a, a space in here that we can never fill. And that's why we're constantly striving, you know, constantly saying, if I eat more burgers, more Big Macs, then it'll make me feel complete, you know, and I'll be happy if I have a nice big car or a big house or go on that, that holiday. But when we start to do that in a work, we realize there is no hole. And that's why, that's the very reason we can't fill it. But then if there is no hole, then we, there's nothing we can consume to fill that. Then the, the only other thing then is to take what is abundant in here and share it with the world. Um, but, but how do you do that? I mean, we've talked about kind of aligning with our real selves and, and coming out into the world as our as our true authentic selves. But how do we do that without everyone going, whoa, hang on a minute, they've gone a bit too far into the kind of spiritual crystals and woo-woo land. You know, how do we how do we balance that with kind of still being a kind of, you know, not being completely out there, if you like, and still being a kind of real person living in the real world. Well, I think I think when you meditate, um, it's the shifts occur slowly, yeah. and it's interesting if you if you read a lot about you know different very well known people, whether they're celebrities or athletes or uh, so often people that you admire. Not that we admire celebrities all the time, but you'll find that they're meditators that um, it's, it's, they maybe not talk about it all the time, but it's a way that they cope with, you know, whatever their world brings. So I think that when you, when you become uh, like say a steady meditator and you get a little bit deeper and you become, your mind becomes a little bit more quiet, you wanna do things that bring you peace and happiness. And that doesn't always look like sitting on a mountaintop with crystals. That might be doing something very active out there in the world. And that's you. I mean, one of my most spiritual friends is a corporate executive, super successful, because she loves bringing this awareness into her job. 
and empowering people. We're all different. We all have different gifts. And when you find, you know, align with yours to some extent, it doesn't have to be perfect and it can change over your lifetime. It brings you joy and it gives you energy to be, to do. For some people, yes, it might express as art. Some person might become an artist, but that, that can be, some person might become an incredibly creative uh, computer programmer. So it just comes in different ways. We don't know, but Having a quieter mind, being more at peace within can only make you more effective in whatever you choose to do with awareness. It's your choice. Uh, you're just coming at it with a little bit more clarity. Um, that's absolutely true. I, I know people who are, you know, that if you were to say to them, you know, do meditation, they would scoff and go, I'm not doing any of that spiritual nonsense but then they will go out and run for four hours through the countryside and they'll do it at the crack of dawn so they can watch the sun come up. And if that's not kind of some kind of spiritual experience, uh, I don't know what is, you know, um, but it's true that there's a, there's an old, um, well, I don't, I'm not going to say ancient, but uh, several hundred years old uh, Japanese haiku that says the lamp wants out, cool stars enter the window frame. And it's, it's true. Once we, quieten down the kind of background noise once we turn out the lamp we start to kind of see the the stars that uh, you know we might not notice you know that you know thoughts the the sense of calm within us that is you know very useful um as someone who has not um uh, maybe not done meditation before maybe not tried yoga before do you think your book is a good starting point is there is there something that you know even novices could get out of it yeah, absolutely. There's uh, very basic practices and it's very simple. Like most people, for most people, the easy, easiest technique um, to begin a meditation practice is to focus on the breath. There's a couple of ways to do that. And you might just feel the breath moving in the nose, on the inhale, moving out on the exhale. Thoughts come in, notice that, that's okay. Just go back to feeling the air in the nose. So there's techniques like that that anybody can do that you might not even realize is meditation, even if it's for three minutes a day, and that can make a difference. So little things like that throughout the book, I think are great for someone who's just curious and maybe needs a little inspiration or a little, a little guidance, a little direction. And if you are if you are a meditator, if you do meditate, and there's a little bit more about maybe other aspects that you're not aware of. Um, pranayama practices or breath work and um, practicing silence, things like that. So it really is, again, not too difficult or challenging, um, sort of simple, and yet I think pretty profound in our culture. They're not, it's not out there as, as much as I would hope um, it would be at this point. I think it will be, though, in the future. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like something I, my own um, meditation practice is not uh, as strong as it used to be. So I'm thinking that maybe um, much more of a kind of yoga approach to it um, might be just what I need. So I'm going to maybe quite possibly pick up a copy and see if I can adopt some of the practices. Um, in you. terms of getting hold of it, where, where can people get hold of um, Threads of Yoga? Uh, well, it's, it's uh, on Amazon, although also at any bookstore, it should be there or um, 
able to be ordered or my website. I do have um, some links on my website. Um, it's my name, PamelaSelig.com. And that's got all my information. Fantastic. Well, I will, I will leave it there, but I think this has been a really interesting and um, uh, quite enticing introduction to meditation, to yoga. And uh, yeah, I'm quite excited about kind of getting back into that, exploring that kind of silence that comes from, you know, taking our mind away from the, the constant chatter, the constant thoughts. So um, thank you for that. It's been a very inspiring conversation so i will put all the links in the notes uh, that go along with the the show um but thanks again for your time I'm, I'm very very grateful oh thank you so much i enjoyed our conversation thank you so there we are the wonderful pamela selig with some amazing insight into yoga which is essentially a tool for connecting with our deeper essential selves and fortifying ourselves with our deeper wisdom um, so that we may be better equipped to live a more rewarding and fulfilling life. As I previously mentioned, you can find out about Pamela and her book, Threads of Yoga, Themes, Reflections and Meditations to Weave into Your Practice, at her website, which is www.pamelaselig.com. And I will also put all of these links, links to her book, to her website, in the show notes. She's on Instagram as well, well worth tracking down because her work is really inspiring and it has encouraged me to uh, personally look into this uh, much deeper and, and refresh my kind of practice, my meditation practice. So find this in other episodes wherever you get your podcasts or at conversationsonliving.com where you can also sign up to my mailing list, find my writings, guided meditations and all other kind of bits and bobs if you want to give that a listen. Next week, I'll be speaking with E.A. Solkovitz about creating a mastermind group with the one sole purpose of lifting each other up. Until then, have a lovely day.